All right, everyone, welcome back to another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here. Uh, now in the middle of May, uh, a lot of sports stuff going on. We're going to get to the NBA and the NHL playoffs. Uh, the twin season, um, you know, is going something. Um, and the Vikings schedule just got released uh, last night. So there's plenty of uh, sports action going on. We're going to break it all down here, uh, starting talking about the Twins. They're cooked. I mean, it was something that I kind of alluded to before, is you don't want to sink your season in April and May, but they have sunk their season in April and May. I mean, there's just no recovering uh, from – there's just no recovering from this point. I mean, they're, they're cooked. Every, every – Front office move this team has made in the offseason backfired. Bringing in Alexander uh, Colome. Uh, Andrelton Simmons, um, who I don't think was a bad move on paper, had the COVID issue. Now, I know he didn't give people COVID, but still uh, still something you know to kind of watch. He was out for a couple weeks. Um, and at the time, really, when the team started to take that nosedive, um, you know, you look at uh, you know some of the moves of – Letting uh, Erie Adrianza hit the market, letting Matt Whistler go, um, kind of trying to just add a bunch of kind of trying to patchwork your way through the bullpen and kind of bank on your previous experience, um, kind of uh, turning uh, something into nothing. Um, and outside of that, outside of all the offseason moves they made, it's actually the what's worse isn't that they swung and missed on off seasons because they've done that before and they've shown that they've been able to make good off season moves they've shown they've been able to make good trades um like Sergio Romo like Nelson Cruz um you know and all of that um so they've also shown that they can sign Logan Morrison and Lance Lynn so I I don't know but the, what's mo- most concerning about this Twins team isn't the free agent moves. It's that there is so much regression right now, and all of that regression is coming from some of the players that the team was expecting to be this nucleus, expecting to carry the team. I mean, guys like Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano, um, yeah, he, his strikeout numbers are just unbelievable. He's getting benched in games for Williams Ostadio. I mean, you're Miguel Sano. You should be an all-star. You're getting paid $10 million, and you're getting beat out by a guy who's notorious for being chubby. Now, when William Sastadillo does it, it's endearing. When Miguel Sano does it, everybody uh, send, we send him down to uh, Fort Myers to uh, go rework his game, which honestly you might have to do again. You might have to send Miguel Sano down to Fort Myers and do another one of these things because he just looks cooked. And, uh, you know, Max Kepler hasn't had the start that he's wanted to have. He had COVID. So, you know, how much of that is related? I mean, he wasn't hitting very well before that. Um, you look at um, Josh Donaldson's had a pretty solid season, actually. Um, you know, I think he's been about what you're paying him for. I, I think what, you know, I think Donaldson would feel a lot more. It, we'd feel a lot better about Donaldson if the team's record were better. Um, but Donaldson's still a good player. Uh, Simmons we talked about before, but Polanco had a rough start. He's kind of finding his way a little bit, but still obviously uh, nothing close to uh, that 20, uh, 2019 um, All-Star season, starting in the All-Star game, all that uh, kind of stuff. Um, not fielding the ball very well either at second base. Honestly, um, when everybody's healthy, it does a rise make more sense as the long-term second baseman. Now Polanco's in the middle of a five-year extension along with Kepler. So I don't know how much that goes into it. 
But um, and then first, but you know, Sano has been. Uh, we've already mentioned him. Uh, Mitch Garver continues to show that 2019 was kind of not a fluky year, but a fluky year, a year where he played so uh, so above average that this regression isn't isn't disappointing. It's just I think we probably got our hopes too high with what Garver could be. Um, Garver's just a streaky hitter, um, and a liability as a defensive catcher. I mean, that's about what it is. Ryan Jeffers, who can pitch frame, who is better defensively, couldn't hit, and he's down in St. Paul. Um, ben Rordvet's going to take some time, but just the fact that you have question marks now. It's so, you have question marks about the future of your catching position. You have question marks with the future of Miguel Sano, with Jorge Polanco. Um, you have question marks with so many guys, and the only bright spots on this team keep getting hurt. Uh, Luis Arise last week, I know he came back, but he was on the concussion list. Um, Byron Buxton going on the DL, going on the IL, having an MVP level season. And that's been the most frustrating thing with Buxton is he plays so well. He is such a good player, Buxton, that it's just so infuriating when he gets hurt. And it's not his fault, but it's just, you can see how much of a game changer he is, how much value he adds to this Twins team. And he's just not in the lineup. And that's frustrating because he's a guy you want to keep you want to re-sign, but is it worth spending $25 million a year to re-sign him for a five-year deal? And you can only expect him to play half the season. Uh, I, I don't know. That's going to be something for the Twins front office to decide. But, I mean, the bright spots of this season have been that we've gotten to see Alex Kirilov and now Trevor Larnick. Um, I think that's something that that probably is about the only way you can salvage this year is trying to figure out what the future is for those players and if those guys can play, if you can, you know, get them these big league at-bats kind of uh, in a way like Mitch Garver in 2018. It's a lost season. You don't really have anybody else you want to throw up there, so just get them a bunch of at-bats and just kind of see what you have with them. Um, and, and where do they play exactly? I mean, Larnick and Kirilov are both outfielding prospects. Larnick is a straight-up outfielder, so – he's probably going to stay. He has a lot of experience in right field, none in center and a little bit in left. I think left field is probably going to be the future for him unless you do something with Kepler, who again, still has two more seasons after this on a contract. Now it's a pretty team friendly one, but he's still signed long-term. So you don't really know what else you do in left other than keep Kirilov there. But honestly, I'm more in the camp that it's time to move Kirilov to first base. He's a fine outfielder, but he's a, shown better to to be a better defenseman at first and then with that once Nelson Cruz leaves I don't believe the Twins are going to bring Nelson Cruz back for an age 41 season so you move Miguel Sano to that DH and just kind of banish him there and kind of see if you can get some kind of value in him in that role but I think Kirloff is the first baseman of this team I think he's got to be the future first baseman I think Larnick's the future left fielder I think you still have Kepler for a little bit. Buxton still has center. Donaldson's going to be a third for a little bit still. Um, Royce Lewis, does he come up next year? The ACL injury complicates things. Do you move Polanco back over to shortstop? Play Nick Gordon. The Twins have shown that they just refuse to play Nick Gordon for some reason. I mean, I know he kind of fell off through the through the farm system, but I think the Twins have done Nick Gordon dirty. They just have not given him an opportunity to prove himself um, at the big league level. Um, but, uh, so I don't know. Uh, and then Luis Arise looks like a guy that could be at second base. Now, again, that's where Nick Gordon's supposed to go. Um, Arise, not really a shortstop either. Um, 
And then, yeah, Kirill, and then you don't know what you're going to do with the catching situation. Do you roll with Garver? Is it Rorvet? Is it Jeffers? Are you kind of waiting for Jeffers to take that role if he can uh, kind of get his hitting in order? I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of question marks with uh, this team. And just every move this front office made backfired, especially in the bullpen. Uh, we saw regressions from Kenta. We've seen Barrios just kind of be that up-and-down pitcher. Um you know, it just – it's frustrating because this is a team with talent. Um, now there are just some years where everything just goes wrong. You had a COVID outbreak early. Your team kind of – they didn't – they played well in the first week or two – in the first couple weeks and just nosedived, and they picked the wrong time to nosedive. They did at the beginning of the season when they didn't even have a good record to fall back on, which is, again, you can't let your team sink in April. Um, you can't let them sink in April and May because it ruins the rest of your season. Um, they had like a 60% chance to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season. Fangraphs is giving them an 18% chance to make the playoffs. It looks more and more every day. The Ro- Let me put it to you this way. The Royals, who were in first place about a month ago in the division, um, they lost 10 straight games. And they are still three and a half games in front of the Minnesota Twins for third place. They have, they're like 6 and 20 and they're yeah, or six and fourteen in their last twenty or something unreasonable like that. It's just unexpected. I know there's the fire Rocco chance, and that's that's fine. That's all well and good. You know, whatever. You're gonna be frustrated with Rocco. There's a bit to be frustrated at, but really, this blame falls on the front office. If we're being if we're being honest about it, this blame falls in the front office in their uh, way to put the pitching staff together. I think is the biggest thing. I I think with Outside of maybe starting this Kirloff in left to begin the season, there's really not much else. Because, I mean, on paper, this Twins lineup looked fine. It looked like you could roll with it. Um, so I think really where the blame falls, if we're going to find things that we, you know, you could second-guess them about, um, realistically, would be the way they constructed this pitching staff. Why didn't they just give Dobnak the fifth starter spot? Why are they going with Matt Schumacher? He obviously can't pitch right now he's obviously not worthy of a big league spot um you know why don't why didn't they let Dominic take that spot Jay was Jay Happ really the best you could do I mean he's been fine I mean he hasn't been spectacular he hasn't been oh my gosh he's bad but like was that the best option to go with your team looking to compete for the world series coming off back-to-back division championships and the best you could do to replace Rich Hill was a slightly younger Rich Hill um I don't know. The bullpen is really where it falls apart. You don't you make the case that you don't like to sign big name relievers, but the one big name you re- reliever you sign to a 6 and a quarter million dollar deal, Alexander Colomay has fallen flat and just awful, just no good, very bad, terrible. Um all of you know the and then regression from Rogers. Um Duffy's been Fine. Thiel bar is okay, but he's really not a guy you put in a lot of high leverage spots. Um, just they lost Rogers, May, um, Whistler. The decision to not bring Whistler back, to not pay him because you thought you could find another Whistler off the street. And I get it. Whistler wasn't anything special, but he was a guy who pitched very well for you last year. And why you don't try to run it back one more time just to see what you can get. Um, I think the Twins just got too cute with their ability to put together pitching staffs. I really think that's the deal. I think they thought that they could turn uh, something into nothing. They thought they could turn 
um, dust into diamonds or whatever expression you want to use here. They thought they could um, turn anything – they thought they could find any guy off the street and turn them into a quality pitcher. And the Twins have shown that they have the capabilities to do that with some pitchers. Uh, they had a lot of success with Michael Pineda. They had success with Matt Whistler last year, turning Duffy around, bringing back Caleb Thielbar, getting him in, the development of Randy Dobnek. There are some cases that lead you to believe that, but they got too confident in themselves, and that's the reason why this Twins bullpen cannot be trusted in any situation. I mean, as soon as the game goes to the to the bullpen in the fifth inning, the sixth inning, and it is tied, it the game's over. Because A, you don't trust the Twins to score any more runs, and B, you know that if the Twins are going to win, they're going to need to score about three or four more runs in the second half of the game to even have a shot. Um, this season's over. I'm sorry. you got to see what you can get out of it with the young guys, but they're not competing for anything this year. Um, so, I don't know. Let's move on to the Wild. Um, who are competing for a playoff spot? It looks like more and more that that three seed is going to be where they are. There was a chance they could jump up and get the two, um, which would have been ideal to get home ice advantage. Um, instead, they're going to have to play the Avs or the Knights. And here's why it was important. The Wild have great home ice advantage at the X. They only have two losses at home all season long. The Avs also, who look to get the, who probably are going to get the two seed, they also only have two losses at, it's not the Pepsi Center anymore, but you know what I mean. In, in Denver, they only have two losses. So to make sure you could have had home ice for that series, then you just lost 4 nothing to St. Louis last night, so that basically ended that. Um, to think that you could have did that, would have, or to, to try and get that, to have that option would have been great for them. Um, but who would you want to rather play, the Avs or the Knights? I think the Knights were probably the better matchup. You at least have a lot more competitive games with them than you do Colorado. Now you've shown you can beat Colorado, but I think the Knights would have been a more fun matchup. But the reality is, is that if the Wild want to win the Stanley Cup, like they believe they have a shot to do this season, they're going to need to beat both of those teams anyways. I would have much rather played the Knights first because you have a better feeling against them. Um, and then especially if you were able to land that two seed to have it at the X, and then you get that momentum. You get that, you know, you slay one giant. Now you kind of roll in, try and get the next one. Um, and hockey is one of those sports where it just you just got to get streaky. I mean, St. Louis won the cup on this a couple of years ago. You just got to get hot at the right time, and things kind of just fall into place. So... Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, winning these road games is going to be tough. Now, that's not to say the Wild have a bad home record or a bad record away from home, away from the XL Energy Center, but they, they're they just going to play teams who excel on their own home ice. So they're going to have to figure out ways to win on the road. They're going to have to, you know, Talbot's going to have to step up. Kaprizov is going to have to just pull something out of his hat. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll know more um, as the season wraps up this week, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so that's uh, kind of my wild take for the week. Moving on to the Wolves, who are also ending their season. Optimism reigns. Um, you know, and I know we started off this season with the or this podcast with the pessimism of the Twins, but the optimism of the Wolves as they go into the offseason is actually really refreshing. Um, it really is. I mean, now that they've won, a, they've won the last few games. Now, granted, they've been playing Orlando and Detroit, who are both actively tanking, but it's not like you just squeaked away wins. You destroyed them. And it shows that this team, I mean, Ant and Cat look confident. Um, 
you know, I Ant and Cat are a really good pair. You can see the chemistry developing with those two as the games go on. And not that you don't see it with D'Lo, but D'Lo's just kind of a more reserved guy when it comes to that. Ant has this very boisterous personality, and Cat does too when you get him going. You can kind of – you've seen out, uh, kind of clips from him in the media throughout the years, but I think it shows that after that Heat game when they're talking about Jimmy Butler and Cat going at it, and Cat told – uh, Jimmy to call Rachel Nichols and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you saw Ant after the game just kind of basically put it, playing light of it, um, you know, talking about who was getting – because they both got uh, double technicals. Uh, you talk about uh, – he talked about how that thing went. And he kind of said, oh, the zebras, you know, we're getting too emotional or something. And, and you saw Cat just have this belly laugh. I mean, you just see this chemistry exuding from this team. And not only that, but the head coach of this team, Chris Finch, Looks like he has a vision for this team. Now, after the All-Star break, kind of it was his first week or so on the job. The Wolves looked hapless. They didn't know what they were doing. Finch said, all right, I'm going to take this time away. We're going to practice. We're going to implement how we want to do things now. Now that I have some games under my belt, now that I kind of know what I'm working with, we're going to hit the ground running. And they have. I mean, if you look at – they've judged every team's performance post-All-Star break. Not necessarily talking about wins and losses, but just – how much the team has improved in other kind of quantifiable statistics. And the Wolves were one of the top teams in the NBA. So I'm expecting them to take a Suns-like leap this season. Um, because Chris Finch was able to do this through the second half of the season, now give him a whole offseason to work to figure out what he wants to do with Cat and D'Lo and Ant. And, you know, God forbid they get the lottery pick. If they somehow keep the lottery pick, um, not even just picking a young player, but just using that as a tradable asset to try and get more good veteran players for this team. It just opens it up uh, immensely. But I still think even if the, the team just makes kind of some minor moves here and there, because not everybody's going to stay, who knows if Rubio stays, who know kind of what they do with that, even if they just kind of pick up some under-the-wire guys just to kind of be rotational players, the young nucleus with Cat and Ant and also D'Lo, which is an important distinction because – Cat and Ant are the core of this team. D'Lo also helps, I think, in my opinion. But um, with Cat, Ant, plus D'Lo, this team can make a jump. You already saw them. They're competing in games. They're rarely getting destroyed in some of these games like they have been in the past. They're competing with teams like the Heat. They're competing um, with uh, you know other, uh, other contenders that are looking – to kind of make these jumps in the postseason. Um, they beat Golden State uh, pretty easily. Um, you know, you just look at some of these things. They're finding their stride. They're really finding what works. And I I think that the – now, again, this is something we say about the Wolves every time. But, the th you know, it was just kind of banking on them taking that next step. But the Wolves have already taken that next step. They are already proving that they can win games in the NBA. Um, they're just going to need – they were just put in an immense hole by the time that Finch took over. That it was um, that it was just too late, and that's again nothing on Ryan Saunders himself personally. He just wasn't ready for this position. Um, it was just in a little over his head, and now hopefully he gets some time to be an assistant somewhere and kind of uh, you know get some more experience, and he'll get another shot eventually, I'm sure. But um, the Wolves are set up to succeed with Chris Finch. I, not, I didn't really know what to think when they first hired him, but now that he's kind of had his time, he's developed his stuff, I really like what he's doing. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I got nothing much to say on the Wolves. This is probably the most optimistic I've been about the Timberwolves since this podcast has started, but just since, honestly, for a long time, probably not since they traded for Jimmy Butler. But 
again, that well, we know how that ended up. So let's let's see what happens here. Um, just looking over my notes. Uh, yeah, the, Chris Finch will get this team into the playoffs next season. You can book it. You can at old takes exposed on me. Um, Chris Finch will lead the Minnesota Timberwolves to a playoff berth next season. And just kind of the little cherry on top is I'm expecting a Phoenix Suns level jump to where Phoenix was. They just missed the playoffs last season. Uh, they kind of, they had that run in the bubble where they went undefeated, but they still couldn't make it in and all that kind of stuff. And now they're the two seed in the West or they're one of the top three teams in the West. Um, now granted they added Chris Paul um, and I don't know who the Wolves can add uh, to kind of bring him to that level, but they have the potential to do it. They have the pieces in place. They just need kind of the cherry on top to, to get them there. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, with the Wolves. All right, rounding out this podcast here. Let's see. We got uh, the Vikings. Now, I want to go over the Vikings draft a little bit because I think the way it played out early, it looked like the Vikings were in for a good night. All of the top players were kind of falling in weird spots. The Panthers and the Broncos both took cornerbacks, positions that the Vikings could have certainly drafted, but also didn't really need to, or wasn't their big guess need, draftable need. Um, so it kind of opened up. Penny Sewell started to fall, or Sean Slater started to fall. Now Penny Sewell got picked up by the Lions, which stinks because he's going to be a good player. Um, kind of give you a bookend left tackle of the Lions with Rag now, and uh, there's a, they have another offensive lineman that whose name escapes me, but they are building a great offensive line in Detroit. Um, too bad the rest of their team is white hot garbage, but uh, so they're building something there. Uh, but Rashawn Slater still on the board. He kept falling, and not only did Rashawn Slater fall, but Justin Fields. And you thought the Vikings are going to luck themselves into getting one of these two picks, and it showed that the Vi- and things showed that the Vikings were interested in trading up to get Justin Fields. Now they didn't want to give up a first round pick for next year, which if I was that confident in Fields, I would have done. Because who cares if you don't have a first-round pick next year? You have a franchise quarterback, and you can kind of figure things out after that. You look at teams like the Chiefs, uh, you know, the Rams. Uh, you look at some of these other teams. If you find your franchise quarterback, it's okay. You can make things work um, without a first-round pick. But Spielman loves the first-round picks just as much as he loves seventh-round picks and uh, didn't want to do it. And we'll see if that comes to bear for the Vikings uh, because Chicago traded up. Uh, with the Giants at pick number 10 or 11 to get Justin Fields. So they lost out on Justin Fields. Um, they uh, lost out on Christian Slater. Now he fell right in front of uh, the Vikings at 13 to the Chargers, who took uh, Rashawn Slater to uh, beef up their offensive line to give uh, Justin Herbert some protection. And that, that stunk because he was a good offensive lineman prospect. So the Vikings did what the Vikings do, and they trade back. And at first... Trading back, the Jets traded up so with the Vikings to take a player that I was very high on. If you listen to the podcast, I was very high on the Elijah Vera Tucker um, uh, draft sweepstakes, I guess, whatever word you want to use. I was very high on him as a prospect. Um, thought because of his capability to play guard or tackle, you could kind of mish, mishmash your way through it. But um, it all worked out because the Vikings ended up landing. They traded back. They still got Christian Derrissaw at 21. They got some extra picks. Those extra picks were used to help them draft a a potential quarterback of the future in Kellen Mond, and we'll get to that in a second, but to get Wyatt Davis, 
the guard out of Ohio State who had a second-round draft grade. You get him. Now, plugging and playing two rookies into your offensive line, I said that before, it's a little risky because, A, they're rookies. So, you know, they take time to develop. There could be busts. Putting two of them on your offensive line to protect your uh, $40 million quarterback who needs an offensive line to work well, that's going to be interesting, especially when you're doing it at left tackle. But, uh, you know, I think I think this can work. I think Christian Derisaw is a good uh, left tackle prospect. He can immediately plug in the hole left by Riley Reef. I think he's cheaper. I think the Vikings have invested – I mean, like the Lions, they've, they have – uh, a lot of high draft picks invested in that offensive line. Their first round or their left tackle is a first round pick. Their center is a first round pick. Um, their right tackle was a second round pick in Brian O'Neill, who's going to get a nice extension, I'm sure. Ezra Cleveland was a second round pick. He's going to probably play left guard. And then you have Wyatt Davis at right guard, um, who is a third round pick. So you've invested a lot of draft capital, a lot of high draft capital in this offensive line. And I think the Vikings actually, I mean, on paper and on potential, have the chance to put a formidable offensive line in front of Kirk Cousins. I think, now again, that's a big if. If even just one of these rookies pans out, hopefully Darisaw more than Wyatt Davis, but even if you can just get one of these guys to pan out, that is a great offensive line you set yourself up for. So we'll see what happens with that. I really like that pick. Now with Kellen Mond, um, I think is great because, A, it shows that the Vikings – aren't married to Kirk Cousins as much as maybe we thought they were going to be, as much as, you know, does Rick Spielman put his GM stake on Kirk Cousins being the quarterback of the future? Obviously not. And reports from Darren Wolfson of KSTP say that the ownership was also pushing for the Vikings to draft a quarterback. Now, whether it's because they want a shiny new quarterback to sell tickets and jerseys, I don't know whether it's because they don't want to pay Kirk Cousins $45 million to get them to where they could have been with any other quarterback, maybe that's also true. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, this is interesting um, that the Vikings have drafted a quarterback. Now, do I think Kellen Mond is the future starter of the Vikings? No, I, I, I don't think so. I think Kellen Mond's an intriguing piece. I think he could be, but I don't think that Kellen Mond is the future. I don't think Kellen Mond is. I think Kellen Mond is a guy that they're hoping to develop and see what they have in him. But I think the most important thing is it sends a message to Kirk Cousins saying, look, your contract's up after the next season. and you know, you're going to need to prove that you deserve an extension or you're going to need to kind of show something because we are kind of getting impatient with this uh, nine and seven, seven and nine, 10 and six kind of thing. Now with a 17 game season, we'll see. But um, I mean, I just, I, I love this draft for the Vikings, the Kellen Mond pick. I like to send the message Now they do open the door up for kind of that QB controversy. We'll see what happens. Um, Cousins has been no stranger to QB controversy through his time uh, Washington. So again, I think that this will be a very intriguing thing, which also Robert Griffin, the third uh, petty digging into cousins saying that he's making a lot of money to go eight and eight, um, all that kind of stuff, uh, which is true. Uh, I didn't think RG3's assessment of cousins wasn't wrong, but the way he said it and the way he put it just kind of came from a place of pettiness more than a place of really honestly critiquing. Um, anyway, um, but the Vikings schedule, I think, or one more thing, and then I'll get to the Vikings schedule, is uh, no wide receiver three was really addressed. I know they took a they took a fifth round wide receiver um, from Iowa who's got some skill set. I think he's got more, they maybe seem as more of a returner. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, they didn't really address the defensive end. They took a couple guys in the middle rounds, but nobody that you really can realistically expect to come in and be a starter uh, from day one. 
So out opposite of Daniil Hunter, it's going to be Stephen Weatherly and kind of just a rotating cast of whoever they can find, um, which shouldn't hurt as much because this line is going to be better now with uh, Dalvin Tomlinson here and with uh, Michael Pierce uh, uh, going to be playing now, uh, now that he's vaccinated and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think those are the only things, critiques I have in the Vikings draft is maybe get going higher for a wide receiver three or a defensive end. Um, but you know what? Uh, I like this draft. I There's a lot to like about the draft they had. Rick Spielman proves, and, and he's had bad drafts, so I'm not going to say he's a whiz, but Rick Spielman proves that he knows what he's doing. They've done a lot with the cap um, to be able to sign free agents and plug a lot of holes, because let's forget the 2020 Vikings had a lot of holes on their roster and uh, are lucky to, we're lucky to be 7-9. and nine. So uh, they have a lot of holes to fill. Um, guys getting injured last season and then bringing in additions and now kind of just trying to figure out what your team is. I think this team, it's playoffs or bust. No excuses for Rick, no excuses for Zimmer, no excuses for Cousins. They Everything is out in front of you, especially with the drama going on in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if everything is laid out in front of you, Chicago's going to be playing a rookie quarterback or Andy Dalton. And we'll see what happens there. If Fields is as good as advertised, the Bears could be Super Bowl contenders, but not in his rookie year, not in their rookie year. Uh, so this is a path for you to make some noise if you can capitalize on it. It is playoffs or bust. And not only playoffs, but win a playoff game, show that you are a team that's poised to make a run. Not, not the New Orleans Saints year where you upset them and then you got destroyed by San Francisco uh, in the next game. Go in there, win, make a statement, do all that kind of stuff. So we'll see what happens. But right now, it is playoffs or bust. And the last thing, the Vikings have four primetime games. Um, Cowboys on Sunday night, Steelers on Thursday night. you got a Monday night game at Soldier Field and a Sunday night game uh, against the Packers. So a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on. I don't like the 17-game schedule. It's going to take some getting used to. Um, I think the Vikings have a great early part of the schedule. Uh, to get some wins, uh, Detroit, Arizona, Carolina, um, you got a lot of chances to kind of pick up some easy wins, and it kind of reminds you of the 2019 schedule where they started like five and two or five and three or something like that. And uh, I think they have a very good shot to do just that to get on such a hot start that they basically all they have to do is kind of not fall apart down the stretch, and they'll make the postseason. I think the Vikings are set up in the same way to do that. So, um, also one last thing uh, with the Vikings, I uh, would like to. Uh, RIP to Jerry Burns, longtime Vikings coach. He is uh, gone, uh, passed away yesterday. Uh, so, you know, uh, just kind of one of the uh, torchbearers after Bud Grant for coaching, um, one of the bigger names uh, in Vikings history. The Vikings have had some pretty good coaches in their history um, with Bud Grant, with uh, Jerry Burns, with, um, you know, just, I, and then you've had Zimmer in the early stages. I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, my God. Dennis Green. Okay. I always just think of the, they were who we thought they were. Uh, Den, but Dennis Green uh, also, uh, probably if there wasn't Bud Grant, you can make the case that Dennis Green probably is the best head coach in Vikings history, uh, just to, of what he was able to do with the 98 Vikings and, uh, and all that, but, and his way to coach offenses. But all right, that'll do it here for the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll have plenty coming next week, bringing down all that's going on. Maybe the Twins will win some games, maybe not. Uh, we'll see. We'll kind of break down some wild playoff action once that gets closer. We'll see you guys next week.
Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.